Hello, dear friends. It's good to be back. Welcome to the Pearl Dialogues. My name is Wazi, and together I host this podcast with Elin. This is a student-led initiative hosted by the Youth Council of this school, the Diamond Perch School. And we have conversations with teachers in the Diamond Approach. For those of you who are new to this teaching, there are links in the description, the show notes, where you can learn more about it. There is also a glossary and other interesting resources. In my conversation today, I talk with Jessica Britt, who is one of the first teachers, the senior teachers of this school. And what we talk about is the teaching, the essence of the Diamond Approach teaching itself. Uh, and then eventually we expand into exploring uh, intimate relationship. What is the actualized condition of an intimate relationship? We also talk about masturbation and how that connects to sexuality. We talk about what is a good student and a good teacher. And another interesting topic is that of um, plant medicine. So, yeah, it's a rich conversation. And I also want to announce that we have a new logo. The podcast has a new logo now. So you can check that out. As always, I invite you to sense your arms and legs, body and being while listening. And with that, I say thank you and enjoy. What is the diamond approach, right? Yeah. Let's go into that. Yes. So at this moment, I like the word portal. Yeah. Right. So what is the diamond approach? I'd say it is a portal um, into the mystery, into what is reality. But also, what is the human? Hmm. Uh, what is life? Um, so it's very, it's one of the things I appreciate about the diamond approach. It's very down to earth. Yeah. Right? Like you had a question for me around shamanism. So I'll just, this is a brief side note. You know, shamanism in a certain way also asks the question, what is reality? What is the cosmos? What is the human's relationship to the cosmos? It's very much at the heart of, you know, and so their focus in some ways is what is the nature of a tree? Mm. And you have to go very deep into shamanism in a certain way to go from what is the nature of the tree to what is my nature? Yeah. The diamond approach basically because of the way it unfolded is really um, an orientation with certain kind of methodologies, some, certain kind of orientation that's really directed at what is reality through the discovery of what am I? I can remember years ago when I first started working with Hamid 
and people who know me know this, I did not start working with Hamid as a spiritual teacher. Hmm. So this is, we're talking, I can't remember, 1974, 1975, a long time ago. And I started seeing him as a Reikian therapist. But after a couple of years of fairly traditional Reikian breath work, he started asking me questions, and I'd done a lot of psychotherapy and a lot of different things that nobody had ever asked me before. That shifted my attention from not just my emotional experiences, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, I could still remember the moment it happened. He, he asked me what I was feeling in my chest. Hmm. And I think I, I said nothing. Now, any other therapy I'd done, Jungian, Freudian, Gestalt, would have gone on to a something. And he said, what's the nothing like? And I remember, you know, and I'm young, but I remember sitting there going, what is nothing like? And I kind of, I was lying down, you know, the classic Reikian position. I, I kind of turned to him, I said, Hamid, nothing is nothing. <laughs> it just makes me laugh now. And he goes, is it a light nothing or a dark nothing? Is it a light nothing or a dark nothing? So his mo his um where he directed my attention, is it a light nothing or a dark nothing? opened up a whole other door, a whole other portal into the mystery of something, nothing, but also going from gross experience, very physical experience, even more subtle than emotional experience, to the realm of subtle or spiritual experience. Mm -hmm. right? And how he used to talk about it is, again, we'd never used the word spiritual in the early days. He'd say it's an adventure in consciousness. And we're, in a certain way, he's a scientist. People know this. He has a background in uh, studying physics. Um, and he said, and we're the test tube. Our location is the portal for investigating what is the nature of reality. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I've profoundly appreciated about the diamond approach is that in exploring what is the nature of reality, no aspect of reality is excluded. Mm -hmm. No aspect of reality is excluded. This is so profound. Yeah. Right? which means the body's not excluded, the history's not excluded, no emotion is excluded, no sensation is excluded. So it's a very, um, I'm starting to feel a certain kind of immediacy in this moment, in the non-exclusion of anything, right? So everything's included. But also, there's a particular way that there's a certain method that in the inclusion, based on what's needed in the moment, 
we're taught how to focus on a particular something of significance in that moment. Mm. Right? Yeah. Which brings in the, mm, the notion of guidance, right? Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Yeah. Say, say a little bit more what, what you're interested in and about guidance, because that's a huge subject. So the first thing that came to me when it comes to guidance was intuition, actually. Mm-hmm. I remember when I traveled to, <laughs> this is just right after I had this epiphany experience of, um, so one day I went out to nature and I had this, I'm going to just make it short. I went out to nature. This was pre having read anything spiritual, having known anything about philosophy. Mm-hmm. And I had this ex- profound awakening experience where I was sitting outside, uh, under a tree and I was experiencing a combination of confusion, anxiety, and curiosity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And in that pressure cooker of myself, erupted or came in an insight that came along the lines of or it was specifically this i am what i am but what am i so that was the beginning of my journey and beginning of my path so so i'm going to invite you to just slow down for a moment because i'm touched when you said the key sentence yeah i am what i am but what am i Yes. Yeah, so innocent, so honest. Yes. Yeah. Just completely, I I can just feel so much purity inside my soul when I connect with that. Beautiful, yes. Uh, That's what I, so as we, that, you see, that impulse, I also had a similar feeling, but when I was very young and my experience working with people who have a flame, have this inside them. I am what I am, but what am I? Ah, yeah. Right? And that's often camouflaged by all kinds of things. It's very beautiful that you felt it early and in such a clear way. Hmm. So the diamond approach, we have a particular orientation to open that question up. That in the beginning excludes nothing about one's experience because it's your experience. It's my experience. I'm not going to find out who I am by going over there. I'm only going to find out by going here. And then, of course, what the here is, is so rich and so multifaceted. Um, It's one reason there's so many spiritual paths, is there's so many entryways in to what's here. In the diamond approach, you know, we have our particular way of supporting the unfoldment of what's here through a particular orientation that in certain ways is very Western, you know, because it includes the historical self. It includes the sense of self 
that we enter the path on that has our name and our birth date and a particular history and particular impressions. And we go all those impressions, all those ways you think you are, are important. And we're going to start right there. And from inside out, we're going to find out Another way I could say that each one of those impressions um, is a thread, it's like a breadcrumb to the essential part of oneself. The, the way I like to say it, you know, it's a kind of easy way, is like in the diamond approach, we really work with the emotions in a very unique way for a spiritual path. Right. We don't say, oh, particular emotions are unspiritual. All emotions, everything that's manifesting is part of reality. There's only one reality. So it's one reason we fundamentally don't reject anything, but we want to understand it and get to the inner nature of all the forms. So like with, say, anger, you know, there are many traditions that have a kind of attitude towards anger. And we go, well, don't act it out. You know, don't do any harm with it to the best of your capacity. But let's discover what is the anger about? It's not a mistake that you're feeling angry. It's coming from reality. What are the seeds of the anger? What are the beliefs around the anger? What's your history around the anger? Let's get to the truth of the anger. And, you know, in our work, we have a certain kind of alchemy. The truth of the anger underneath it is, you know, we get to something <laughs> called the red essence, that there's an inner, inner strength, right? That mostly when we're angry is when something doesn't either go our way or reflect our truth. Now, it might be a psychological truth. It might be a kind of narcissistic truth, you know, whatever. But we don't, you know, and we want to, we want to protest. No, no, right? So in a certain way, anger is a certain way for the soul says no. Now, some of the reasons the soul is saying no are very subjective and psychological and, you know, not based on reality, not based on the purity of reality. They're based on one's subjective reality. But if you unwrap that, you can start feeling, oh, this is why I'm angry. And oh, I really wanted to stand up for myself. I want... You know, I wanted to set a boundary. I mean, there are all kinds of things around uh, that gets to an essential purity is main, mainly the point I want to make. Um, and the diamond approach has a way of finding the purity within all forms. Mm. Right? And when you say diamond approach has a way of finding the purity of all forms, um, I am immediately brought to the actual stream or consciousness of the teaching itself somehow. Mm -hmm. That it has a directionality and the directionality is truth and there is an orientation towards reality. And like you said, there is a total inclusion 
of all of life, all of reality, nothing is excluded. And often when I contemplate myself, what is this teaching? Um, I feel it that, that it, it has its own living um, organismic, organismic quality. Mm -hmm. um, and I guess the best reference I have for it, how I experience it in myself when it in its, in its aliveness is, is as if as if it has a stream, it can stream through uh, and, and also inform somehow my soul and inform the, the way I perceive. And what I'm curious about is also uh, with the reality being based in and oriented towards reality, um, I'm reflecting on its relationship to true nature. Mm -hmm. Okay. So feel it's that reflection. So I, I'm, I'm going to fully align with you around this sense of that dynamic stream. Yeah. Right. So reality is obviously beyond infinite, it's endless. The potential is unlimited. Mm. And this is only my way of talking about it. I, I claim no objectivity about this. Mm. But, um, my sense of it is that if there's a beautiful saying that the absolute is the only subject. There's only one beingness. There's only one subject. Yeah. The subject is infinite. Yeah. Right? So coming from that view, my sense of things is that the one subject has many, many, many ways of expressing itself. Many. Now, <laughs> we're so deep in the mystery right now. On one level, there's an evolution. There's an unfoldment through something we call time. On another level, it's all here right now. I'm just going to leave that there. So I'm just going to go into the evolution in time. Yeah. From a certain perspective, human forms are very, very new on the timeline. Now, there could be other life forms on other planets. I'm, I'm, I'm all in on that possibility. Right? Mm -hmm. But within our, from the Earth view, the human form is very new form. So in a certain way, the original teachings, is, in a certain way, was like helping this arising form with a certain kind of intelligence, a certain kind of potential for heartfulness, which has been a developmental thing. Right? It's been a developmental thing. So original teachings, in a certain way, were trying to, in a certain way, keep us from killing each other. We're still having trouble with that, if you might notice, on the planet. Not so easy, right? And the original teaching said, 
oh, look at the nature of everything. Is this fundamental beingness, goodness, mystery. You have all the wonderful Eastern teachings. What's my own sense of the place of the diamond approach? So in a certain way, you could say not only are humans evolving, spiritual teachings are evolving. The absolute reality is saying, okay, you got this about my nature. Did you even know this also, right? And so my own sense, this is right, is that one of the one of the gifts of the diamond approach, it's not the only gift, but one of the gifts is it's like reality is coming through, this stream of reality is coming through and say, not only are the trees in the sky and everything, and not only is your nature pure love or pure beingness or pure mystery or non-due reality, pure awareness. This stream, this particularity that we are, this human is also true nature and true nature is learning to express itself personally. Person one form of the absolute, another form of the absolute, talking to each other. Mm. Right? And yeah. there's something about, touches me, there's something about reality almost saying to our biological human form, not only are you an exquisite ground of true nature, you have this very special heart It's not just universal. It's personal. It can become a very dignified, personal, like true nature, loving personally. The absolute lo loving personally. Mm. Right. I mean, one of the things I think about the Christian traditions. Right? Now, I confess, I'm an old Catholic girl, right? <laughs> There's a power in the nativity. That was a whole new movement on the planet. Mm. The nativity, a woman, a man, and an infant. And this infant was considered divine. That was a very new spiritual impulse. Whatever, and I, I'm not getting into the truth of them, but just as the archetype, as the as a particular true nature expressing itself in a particular form, right? Can you imagine what the world would be like if not only that, if we all recognized our how each one of us is a precious expression of the absolute, but each child. Hmm. Right, so it's a lesson that is difficult because of our instinctual nature, and there's all there's many. It's a very complicated, not complicated, but it's a detailed story. Right, so this back to this stream that you were feeling. There, each teaching I does have a particular stream, yeah. and one of the streams of the diamond approach is valuing the the individual human form. Yeah and recognizing its spiritual nature. Not only that, the diamond approach says what basically makes us human is not our biology. 
there is a human essence that is divine. Mm. Right? We call it the water chandelier. Right? That our humanity is a spiritual quality. This is one reason we experience a lot of humans. We go, huh? right? And back to your original purity, right? Under the tree, many children, there's a place in us that does know this. It's in a lot of people who end up on spiritual paths. If you talk to them in detail, you can usually find a place where they don't just want to solve suffering, which is, of course, a huge motivation for going on the spiritual path. But one is like, you know, uh, I call it the children who see that the emperor has no clothes on. You know, you're sitting there as a kid and you're looking and you're going, this doesn't make sense. Why do we say this doesn't make sense? Because something in our depth is recognizing that the surface conventional world is not lined up with something. Right? We got this doesn't make sense. And the diamond approach is one way, it's a particular path that helps us make sense. Right? Yeah. Yeah, beautifully said. I resonate 100%. That's, yeah, I share, I share your Mm -hmm. their sense of this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Now, the other thing about the diamond approach, I think is worth my saying, is not only does it really honor the spiritual uniqueness of the human consciousness and its capacity to mature and in a certain way be free to, to be... Uh, well, we have a phrase for it. But anyway, um, the personalization of the absolute. Right? Yeah. Um, it also recognizes that there isn't just one expression. That true nature is so unlimited that we have to be careful not to reify our view of what realization is. Right? That the total openness of true nature and its potential, unlimited potential, means that we have to be somewhat hold all realization, even what I'm talking about in terms of the essential human or the absolute curl or however personalization of the, we have to hold it we're invited to hold it lightly. Yeah. Right? Sure. Is it, if we don't hold it lightly, we stop the dynam we put a barrier up against the dynamism and the enfoldment of reality. That yeah. force you were talking about. Mm -hmm. It reminds me with the, uh, about a conversation I had with a friend the other day. And I was talking about the diamond approach and I was sharing how about this stream and this connection and and she felt it but she also challenged me saying um but were, would you be willing to let go of the diamond approach um or maybe at some point you will grow out of it or something she she she, she she's not in the school herself so she just prompted that question and i remember responding um 
along the lines of <clears throat> so if I were to let go of the diamond approach, it would mean letting go of true nature because the diamond approach is an expression of reality in, in my sense of it. And also there is a seeing, which I also know has been communicated in the school that the diamond approach essentially also has a conceptual dimension that one can also go beyond the notion or idea of a teaching and and that's what i'm feeling we're touching upon here that um, how any concept any idea any anything can become fixed and everything can be dissolved into the undefinable and the mystery which transcends every everything <laughs> and all yeah. concepts yeah yeah exactly I'm just taking in that phrase to let go of the diamond approach. Yeah. It treats it as a thing. Yeah. That'd be like saying to someone, letting go of one's practice. The diamond approach um, or, or <laughs> I mean, one of the things I appreciate about the diamond approach is that uh, built in within its view is the view that views change and they unfold and evolve. Yeah. So um, now there is a stage for, for some people, especially, um, God, this is how to say this in a useful way, but particularly on one, on one level, can your whole heart can be feeling that dynamism you were talking about and that unfoldment. Mm. That doesn't mean that your mind or the mind isn't forming concepts around the thing. Yeah. That even though the one is loving one's practice, one is loving the, the, the practice, the, the meditation practice, the orientating towards how to, of the inquiry practice, and loving the sensing and being present practice, all our practices can be deeply moving in, in one's consciousness. And one can be forming a mental concept about it that also turns the diamond approach into this thing. Mm. Yeah. And at a certain point, you know, you've got this relationship with this thing, or you have the relationship with Hamid, or your relationship with the teaching or the teacher, yeah. right? And that's just what the mind does. Yeah. So then there can be, and then one feels limited, of course. So that opens up a conversation. And in a certain way, whether it's Buddhism or the diamond approach or whatever, one is always invited into a fresh relationship. Yeah. It's the moment with the practice, with the teaching. Mm. That's part of the purity that's part of the dynamism yeah. as part of the maturation um process it, in, anyway so this is the wisdom that i wanted to get to with what i was saying because what i notice is that in the west in particular i think people fear commitment they fear being limited by the teaching for example they fear being in relationship and and somehow losing their individuality or losing their sense of self, losing a sense of autonomy. 
And actually, that is what sparked my curiosity around this concept of rapprochement with the actual teaching itself. It, yes. Uh, God, this is such a beautiful question. Yeah. Challenging question. Yeah. Because at this level, we have to acknowledge, if one's going to really approach it, that the usual sense of self that our open consciousness has been conditioned and we develop a sense of self um, based in history. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And the traditions call it ego, personality. It's not separate from our consciousness, but it's like the consciousness has been shaped into a particular form no. and we put our birth certificate on it and our family history on it and everything that's happened on it. And it creates all kinds of contractions inside ourselves, but it becomes a very familiar sense of self. Like this is who I am. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Now that self yeah. is very ambivalent. On one level, it wants to be free. Yeah. Because the soul itself, the dynamism wants to be free, but the very shape you're taking it's yourself to be is not letting the freedom flow, right? So you, a teaching comes your way, and um, I just thought of ayahuasca. Everybody's new favorite thing to get out of the shape is to take a psychedelic, right? Yes, let's get into that. Yes, and then they start feeling the dynamism and all that. Yeah. I don't want to go off on that tangent yet. But yeah. um, so they hear a teaching, and part of their soul underneath the history might resonate with the teaching. Yeah. But the mental part of oneself, the historical part of oneself, it goes, I've been so influenced by so much. And I want my freedom. I want to do what I want to do. I want to go where I want to go. I want to feel what I want to feel. I want to take the drug I want to take. I want to fuck who I want to fuck. Whatever the thing is, right? Yeah. And the thought of the teaching is coming in, and you're relating to the teaching as if it's society, as if it's the parent, or then goes, nope, I want my autonomy. Yeah. My sovereignty. Exactly. <laughs> right? Not recognizing. Of course, the, of course, we want our sovereignty yeah. and our dignity and our freedom. Mm -hmm. But it's not the outer forms that are limiting you. It's the form you've already taken that's limiting the inner sovereignty to naturally arise. So one has to assess, is this teaching, are these methods going to help me unfold this form I'm stuck in and you have to kind of hang out for a while to find out soul time is not on the clock. It's not on the clock. Right? And it takes time and it is challenging for people to make a commitment to a practice out of the sphere of losing, losing their autonomy. That's the autonomy of the personalities, the autonomy of the historical sense of self. Yeah. There is a true inner autonomy, no question. Yeah. And a practice worth its weight in gold is a practice that helps you orient 
it's almost like I want to say it's not a question of trusting the, the teachings, though that's, of course, a relevant question. But ultimately, can I trust my own unfoldment? And does this teaching or this particular method help me get closer to myself? Now, the reality is getting closer to oneself is not so easy initially because there are a lot of things to feel inside a lot of vulnerabilities, a lot of sensitivities, which is why, of course, any practice, uh, I saw that you did an interview with Vince and he was talking about the kindness. It takes a lot of curiosity and playfulness, obvious between you and I, right? Mm. But it takes a lot of kindness and compassion. And it does take a certain kind of determination, like I want to know the truth. Yeah. Right? So I don't know how to solve the commitment question. I mean, yeah. uh, um, you know, people, tr it's like, you know, opening up really what is autonomy is a very interesting conversation, actually. It is a very interesting conversation. And it's almost, oh, go ahead. Yeah, and conversation I would like to have because for me it also links with originality, and uh, when I when I reflect and look at the world uh, throughout the summer, I've been studying different characters by reading biographies, and uh, one that comes to mind now is Frida Kahlo. You know her, the Mexican artist. When I read her biography, it was clear that she had this originality and authenticity about her beingness, which was fresh, which was new, which was um, also enchanting, because there was a particular kind of aliveness that came through her being simply by being herself. And with that, there is a very clear aspect of spontaneity as well, a responsiveness that that, that was my impression. Now, when we talk about autonomy, um, yeah, yeah, I'd like to make a comment about Frida. Yeah, right? please. No, no, because she's a. I find her a very moving soul. Yeah. There's so many of her paintings, were of course the freedom of originality and and how she shamelessly painted what she painted express so much suffering. Hmm. Yeah. I, I, yeah. So, um, and I understood her suffering in a certain kind of way, just because of my own history and having been a nurse and many, many reasons I really grokked her. Hmm. And, and at those, and so in a certain way, it was like how to have that creativity, originality, yeah. And she was on a certain level, you could say she was attempting to digest, metabolize her suffering, her physical suffering, her psychological suffering, her spiritual suffering through yeah. her art. Yeah. Right. And that is a very legitimate. Well, that is that is the truth of how she was expressing herself. Mm. Right? So in a certain way. Is there a potential that supports the originality of the consciousness, right? 
the freshness and the purity. Yeah. It can actually also metabolize the shell, like, you know, the butterfly and the, the caterpillar, and actually dissolve the suffering layer so that the brightness of the creativity is even brighter. Mm, for sure. Right? And for even freer. Hmm. Is, is part of the invitation. Hmm. The word invitation. Yeah. You brought me to silence. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, what I'm curious about, we have other things I, I would love to explore, but I'm curious about the right here and now actually as well. And um, like what, what strikes me about you in this moment or how, how I experience you that I experience uh, a sense of, I experience a sense of expansion like also a sense of intensity and energy. And I feel the fullness of you coming through and also your passion about the teaching when you speak. And also the liquid clarity about the teaching that's coming through that is just like, you know, just streaming. Uh, uh, that's my sense of it. And actually, when I, I took a walk before coming on to speak with you and um, I was actually feeling it right then because I tuned into myself, I tuned into you, I tuned into our field, and I was feeling exactly how you're manifesting right now. And in, in myself, I feel that, like, I feel everything you're saying, I'm resonating with as one, I would say. Like, everything you're sharing is as if the... Uh, the keys or the the genes or the actual substance and also the understanding that you're transmitting is something that is just resonating as an innate kind of knowledge that is also very much the actual embodiment or the actual substance of the teaching that's coming through. Um, also, uh, obviously, in contact with your pearl and the personal wisdom that you embody as an individual soul being. I know, another thing that I notice in myself is, in some sense, also feeling a bit minimized. Like my, 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 my own soul feels a bit minimized in relationship with you because of your bigness in this moment, my soul feels more minimized. And without putting a value judgment on that, because I feel that is the natural order of things in the context of the podcast, that's what's manifesting uh, in some sense. Um, and I know when I speak about this, I've been on, I've been, I've been on the other side of the uh, equation, you could say, where I feel large, and then the other, the other person is minimized. Not without. I mean, I, I, I'm using kind of delicate language here because it can be judged, but I'm not judging it. I'm just sharing it as it is. Huh? 
And another thing that I want to bring in, um, that's another personal thing is before coming on here, I had to work on my uh, kind of idealizing transference onto you as a teacher and which was fused with an idealizing transference of the mother as well. So I had to really work my own psyche, you could say, on those, in those audit relations before coming on. Um, and I, I, I can feel like this, like the remnants of that without being defined by it, you could say. So that's where I'm at. And I feel that me expressing this <laughs> somehow allows me to just express my personal truth in being with you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, so I'm touched by what you're saying. Yeah. Right. I feel no judgment in the space at all within yourself or here, yeah, which is either. great. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's just yeah. what's right. So what I'm noticing, and it maybe is connected to what you're saying, like before you started sharing about yourself personally. So I feel very open, very alive, very easy, very relaxed. Yeah. And I love talking about the work and I love talking with you in this moment. And I'm a talker. Mm. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a manifester. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not a writer, but I'm a talker, right? I think it's great. I, you know, I'm a, I am. I mean, that's anyway. But I... And it's not the bronchitis, but I feel this kind of dense presence in the center of my chest. Hmm. As you were speaking, especially that sense of, uh, oh, you used the word minimized. Is that the word you used? Yeah, yeah. that's the word I used. And so um, from a certain angle, and, and I don't, I just want to acknowledge that in a certain way, that's the um raw material of the unfoldment so like so there's something that a shape comes in that minimizes and we could go into what is that shape like what's the shape that starts showing up in relationship to something you experience as larger and then you start talking about your mother so mm -hmm. your your mother's probably inside that shape now we're not going to open that whole thing up yeah of course but but it is a way of saying that would be something that if we were doing an inquiry together, we'd be interested in that shape. Yeah. The association with the mother. I'd be interested in this shape that's inside my chest right now. Yeah. Um, because that's what's arising in this moment. Exactly. Right. And. You know, as it, it, Samin would say, it's better than watching TV. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Real time. Real talk. Wonderful. Yeah. 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 Good. Good. Yeah. I mean, probably one of the, uh, if you move to say this right now, probably one of the most challenging things about opening up to reality uh, is not the stillness and the purity in a certain way spiritual traditions have been cultivating our capacity to go into the stillness and the openness hmm. 
what's somewhat challenging is the dynamism that true nature is dynamic right and in humans that becomes quite challenging because of the instincts and i don't want to go off into that but the dynamism is challenging because it dis- it's an interesting way to say it but it's almost like we temporarily have to put a lid on our dynamism just enough comes through that we breathe and we eat right and we have to in order to individuate in order to come into a form um if the dynamism is just free before there's a solid base, the forms will just keep melting away in a new form and melting away in a new form and melting away. It's almost like the child needs a, a time because that's the design to stabilize. The positive part of the personality is it helps stabilize so that the individuated form can be, have the time. Mm. Like, like some children don't like taking naps. Some children like taking naps, but when a small child is beginning to come into form, learning to walk and talk, to go down for the nap, or back to the absolute, mm. is to get deformed. And they go, process, no, 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 I got to stay up. Mm. So anyway, it's... Um, so there's a certain kind of maturation needed to really begin to open up the dynamism in a certain way, to really that one's consciousness and the dynamism of true nature, the dynamism of the absolute are kind of lined up. So it's not just the personality acting out. Um, no, there's certainly a stage for sex, drugs, and rock and roll, obviously. Mm. Uh, yeah, that happens as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm, yeah, a journey, a long journey. Yeah, beautiful journey can be mm, difficult one as well. <laughs> Challenging one. Mm. So what stimulated in my consciousness now is this it's about relationship, actually, intimate relationship in particular. I am 29 years old, and in my, in, you know, in my immediate circles, relationship is something people think a lot about, right? Um, particularly in this age. And um, I've recently read A.H. Almas Hamid's book, Pearl Beyond Price, uh, again. And that book speaks a lot about relationship uh, and uh, how we project our essence onto our partner or our spouse or um, as opposed to discovering it within ourselves. And I was wondering if you could share your experience and perspective on the meaning and the purpose of intimate relationship and also um, the journey of maturation and development that can happen uh, within the context of being in relationship with another human being uh, in an intimate way. Big subject, of course. Mm. 
what's because the subject is so uh, relevant yeah right what's the most significant part of your curiosity around intimate relationship yeah i guess i i i i on one level it's the function like what function does intimate relationship play in being human like what role does that have in being a human being so obviously one can bring in biology you know coming together to procreate creates new human beings which is necessary for our uh, for evolution and life and all of that stuff and i'm also thinking about uh like regulation how what i clearly see is that in relationship there can be a tendency for the partners to regulate each other regulate each other's nervous system be regulated through sex um and i know this is a topic that is so relevant and a very hot topic for people who are also spiritually inclined or inclined towards uh, uh, this type of work so i guess something that can be useful for the listeners uh for anyone who's in interested in these things in terms of what, what maybe okay one way to start is um or also look at it is some of the misunderstanding about what relationship is maybe is is, is that more concrete perhaps uh no actually well thank you for continue i just noticed the sun is coming into my space so um anyway it doesn't matter um thank you for saying more it had helped me just kind of get the flow yeah responsive because there is so much to say i i moved to say that relationship at the heart of the intimate relationship is one form of the absolute making love with itself with another form that creation happens in relationship, whether it's Frida with the paints and the canvas, whether it's her, there's, without the two, without the, the relationship, there would be no creation. Mm. So yeah. at the heart of relationship is creation. Yeah. That is how creation creates. Okay. It's how it makes forms, whether it's a caterpillar spun in its cocoon or the infant in the womb. There's the seed of the infant and there's a womb. There's two mm. within the field of the mother. Right? So... It is an uh, intimate relationship in a certain way has the potential to really enter and express and live the ultimate creative mystery. Yeah. Okay. And a part of the form making involves an infant with a mother, right? It's two, it's a relationship. It's a very intimate relationship, very physical relationship under the best of circumstances. Now, deep intimate relationship is needed for the forms making, 
But at a certain point, the form that's being made also needs to, quote unquote, individuate out. Yeah. And then there's more form, right? And then there's just more and more form making. And form making has a combination of deep intimacy, mixing, holding, and separating and individuating out. An intimate relationship, as opposed to, let's say, a one-night stand, says, oh, our form-making, our making a relationship, there's something very positive here. So we're going to individuate, do our thing, and we're going to come back together again. Right? So that's at the very kind of mystical level of the whole thing. Right? Yeah. The challenge is that in our form making with the mother, we create all kinds of images and ideas in our mind about humans, about relationship, about ourselves. So that when we start <laughs> relating, you know, in, in our 20s, 30s, 40s, we're mostly coming from our personality to our personalities. That's why there's, you know, in the in America, there's a joke, you know, you end up marrying your mother or your father, you get divorced, you marry your mother or your father again, you do more therapy. Whew. Okay, I'm not marrying my mother or my father, I'm marrying my sister or my brother, right? You know, it, 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 it's, it's almost a joke because of this transference phenomena. Yeah. My sense of a really maturing relationship well, actually, relationship, that even when a relationship goes really badly, and lots of relationships go badly, yeah, and there's a separation, it is such an incredible opportunity to be with oneself and really explore all one's feelings, one's assumptions about relationships, one's projections. I mean, it's a learning vessel. And then, you know, hopefully you learn something in your next relationship. You maybe are more mature in the relationship. You actually are not just looking at your partner like they're your mother who's going to feed you and take care of you. You actually begin to not just see them as a narcissistic supply, mm -hmm. but you actually can begin to see them in their uniqueness. Yeah. And then you're negotiating that. You know, it's it's a very um I mean, there is no life without relationship. Right. Now, one of the probably deepest lessons I ever learned, and also I used to work with couples many years ago. Yeah. Especially people who are in the spirit or on a spiritual path there's a tendency to put pressure on the relationship to bring you closer to your true nature. Because mm. one of the things that's true in like in a really good sexual relationship, when the soul is really, it's a positive sexual relationship and, this, and your consciousness really does relax in the arms of your beloved, you really do have a really beautiful, let's say, whole body orgasm or 
you know, your orgasm or your being together is not just about tension release. Yeah. It goes deeper into your whole soul moving and relaxing. You got to get closer to your nature. Which then can kind of put pressure on the other to be that anchor to bring you closer to your nature. Yeah. Right? Which, of course, at some point, they're going to disappoint one. They have to. In order that one can even begin to feel like, oh, my God, I'm putting so much pressure on my husband, wife, whatever, child, mother, whoever, to regulate me. And there's a time for that regulation through the other. Because it is a very positive, relaxing holding nourishing environment i mean it's a part of reality it's true nature expressing itself at a certain point either through death illness the the other needs to go across country for work whatever there's it's going to be a disruption it's designed to have a disruption so that one can Enter into the sense of loss. Enter into the feeling of the disruption. Begin to recognize, oh, I've really been holding them as the source. And now I'm ready to enter my own space to see what's here if I'm not just being held, loved, and mirrored by the other. Right. A really, really good relationship, whether it's a friendship or an intimate sexual relationship, is recognizing, how do I want to say this, is recognizing is giving your friend the space to be alone with their aloneness. Hmm. They're giving them the space to be intimate with themselves. It's ultimately, it's really about self-intimacy, meaning intimacy with true nature. And one's beloved or friend is an expression of that. And there are moments to share that. Or there are moments where, you know, the person's just driving you absolutely crazy. But you just like... You get into it, right? Yeah. You just get into it, right? And and how do you how, how exciting? Like, and how do you how, think about anger there? Because sometimes it can get feisty. So what 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 would you say about anger in that context? Thank thank God, thank God. <laughs> Not only that, you know. So your partner narcissistically hurt. Rip, huh? yeah. yeah, right. Well, not only that, well, especially if the if there's a conversation between you and your friend yeah. and there's the space to really get angry, 
Mm-hmm. And then, then the inquiry can open up. God, I'm so angry. And I realize blah, 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 blah. Yeah, exactly. And sometimes you just got to let the energy move, right? Mm-hmm. Right. And so then the relationship, I mean, all relationship is an opportunity to look at reality. To explore, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, um, you know, I, I make a joke. There's some people who are very, very, very nice in public and very, very, very assholy in private. Yeah. Right? Hmm. Then there are other people who are very, very, very nice, who are very, very mature in private and put them on the phone with the telephone company. And the person turns into a total jerk talking to the operator that they don't know. There's a place in ourselves that has these places that are really crunchy that want to get moved and opened up. And some of us do it with strangers. Some of us do it with our intimate others. Yeah. Right? How to approach those crunchy moments and go and have a good laugh about it. And sometimes you have to really apologize and go, God, I was just really so, so tense. I could, you know, eaten bones, Mm -hmm. you know, and I just was so... Right. And I don't have a therapy session, on it, you know, and I haven't given myself permission to just take the bat and just hit the couch because I'm just so. Right. These this is real. They're real. The creative force is very powerful of the absolute. Mm. And it's being squeezed into these little ego bodies. <laughs> a lot of tension in there. Yeah. A lot right? of pressure, a lot of pressure. It's a lot of pressure, yeah. right? Yeah. So inquiry helps open up and unfold it. Making love can help open up and unfold it. Relations, you know. Yeah. Right? So is this helpful to you, what I'm saying about intimate relationship? Yeah, it all makes sense to me. Yeah, <laughs> it all makes sense to me. <laughs> for sure, for sure, for sure. And then my my next question is, um, which links up this with this is masturbation, right? Because mm-hmm. then how 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 do, how do, how do you see that? And also potentially, yeah, let's start with that. My, masturbation. What what's your take on that? It's, it's a very natural process. Yeah. Totally natural process, right? Children are naturally curious. I mean, they're not just curious about their toes. You know, we have this image of kids playing with their toes. No, they're curious about their whole bodies, right? <laughs> yeah. Right. right. So, you know, masturbation is a very natural process. Now, and there are many people who really are very free with themselves in a way they can't be with another person. And that's a very rich place of inquiry. Right. And then there are other people who masturbation is an anxiety releaser. You know, like, you know, masturbating 10, 20, 30 times a day, um, which is not, it's not a problem as such, but it also is like, 
the, one's energy doesn't actually like is that the only way the energy can come out is there is there is it being used actually i'll say it this way there's nothing wrong with masturbation it's a totally natural process but anything that is natural and essential and real can be used for psychological reasons yeah like some people you know curl go, they manage their anxiety like this yeah right some people smoke some people use masturbation so that at that point is the masturbation like an anxiety releaser or is it really about a self-pleasuring and really discovering one's own soulful somatic love expression you know like what's one's attitude actually it's always about that what's one's attitude when making love or having sex when one is masturbating mm. is your super ego in the middle of the masturbation you know yeah. is you know like what what's what's going on in your whole consciousness yeah right so it can be a very rich place for exploration there's no question about that an inquiry and at the heart of what what what's being spoken here is this is, is, is this attitude of actually living in a way that is conscious and actually being interested in experience, interested in life, curious about hu human existence, and actually also like fundamentally being an explorer of reality. If yes. You have that foundational sense of being an explorer of reality, there is no sort of say, um, there is no judgment as such about what is should or should not be done. You know, there is there is an openness, but with that attitude of actually exploring the nature of reality, then hopefully involving the heart so that one doesn't harm anyone and, and has that sensitivity and compassion and all of that stuff. But fundamentally, I feel that like one thing that landed in me about the diamond approach is I realized that the diamond approach for me, how I experience it is, is a teaching for explorers, explorers of reality, foundationally speaking. That's how we talked about it in the early days. Yeah. We never talked about it as a spiritual path. Yeah. It's yeah. a path of adventures in consciousness. Adventures in consciousness. Exactly. Right? Yeah. I mean, I think an interesting question, whether we're talking about, uh, intimacy, masturbation, whatever we're talking about, right? Yeah. Is who's being intimate? Who's masturbating? Yeah. Right? Is it a shy child that's masturbating, hiding it? Yeah. Is it is it a cruel superego that's masturbating? Is it true nature, you know, personal beingness that's masturbating? You know, <laughs> or making, well, these are interesting questions. It's who's interesting. right? Yeah. <laughs> who's who's speaking? Yeah, just definitely. Right. Yeah, it goes to the heart of it. Yes. To the essence of it, yeah. Hmm. What's it like for you now? What are you experiencing? Right now, I just feel a quietude and a kind of sweetness, just hanging loose. Yeah. 
Who is quiet? Quiet is quiet. Yeah. <laughs> quiet is quiet. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now, one thing I want to touch on, we, you, you spoke about it briefly. You spoke about ayahuasca. The trend nowadays is that people are exploring plant medicine. They're exploring with magic mushrooms. They're, they're using ganja, weed, hashish, particularly the young generation. How, how do you see, what's your view on plant medicine? What's to use? What's the downside? How does it align with the diamond approach teaching? Do you have any recommendations? Could you just unpack that for me? <laughs> uh, masturbation to plant medicine. <laughs> <laughs> Very well. The facets. Huh? What did you say? The facets of reality. Yes, the facets of reality. Exactly. Um, It's feeling in what wants to be spoken. Masturbation is a big subject. Plant medicine is an even bigger subject. Yeah. Um, it's clear that plant medicines are part of true nature, are part of life on the planet Earth. And it's clear that for thousands of years, they have been used in very sacred ways. In many traditions, many tribes, and that they've been a powerful agent of support for the evolution of humans to awaken. Yeah. Right? Um, there's this, uh, um, I'm not remembering his name right now, but I met him in the 70s. Anyway, he was uh, one of the uh, Americans who first really went deep into the, the jungles of South America. And uh, he said you could always tell who the shaman was or the chief was in the village because their eyes were the most lit up and brightest. They were the least sleepy. So I have a deep respect for plant medicine, right? Um, in the 70s, a little bit in the 80s, I was involved with doing peyote, Native American peyote circles and uh, with medicine people and uh, worked with a couple of different people from South America. And I would say in my own inner work, and I was just kind of meeting Hamid around this time, Right. Um, the context that I was using the plant medicine was very ceremonial and was very process oriented um, in terms of actually doing inner work. Um, not so much the, I think, one, the form where you put the blindfolds on, and you, it wasn't like that. 
and you lie down, listen to music, and there's different ways that there are certain traditions. This would be like I would be doing a like a four-hour gestalt session with the person I was working with. So it was very cathartic and very deep and very moving, but really held in a particular kind of way um, or in a kind of ceremonial way with the different um, medicine leaders I was sitting with, had the honor to sit with. Now, in the beginning, when I started working with Hamid, I'd come and tell him. I'd say, oh, you know, I had this experience, blah, 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 blah. And he he would inquire with me. Right? And over time, through the inquiry with him, I would recognize what I was, ex- the subtle experiences I was having on the plant medicine. Right? And that over time, I started recognizing, now this is, well, I'll say, I started recognizing that I was turning to the plant medicine to get something moving that I wanted to avoid feeling. So there was a kind of deep inner coming to Jesus moment inside myself to really sort out when was I using the medicine to facilitate an opening, getting to know something more fundamental, And when was I using it to change my state because I didn't like the state I was in? Can you make that, right? That's a certain kind of come to Jesus moment, certain kind of self-honesty. So that was happening. And the other thing that was happening was that in working with Hamid, and these are the early days. So the diamond approach wasn't even called the diamond approach in the late 70s, right? Um. Certain things start opening up in the my sessions with Hamid that were more authentically digestible than was happening in the ceremonies. I mean, I have all kinds of wild experiences. I mean, really positive experiences, I, right? But at this, over time... They just kind of fell away, is kind of how I would say it. Mm. They just kind of fell away. And, you know, because I live in California, you know, I, I've met all kinds of different shamans over the years, even in the last 20 years, right? And I can't even remember the last time I sat in a ceremony. It hasn't been recent, but it was probably within the last 10 years, maybe 10 years ago. Right. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it was, um, I really liked this particular shaman. Uh, I had a great respect and I was dealing with a health situation and I thought, oh, I'm going to do this and I'm going to just do a really deep cellular inner journey. Yeah. To, right. I haven't since. So my own sense is that the plant medicine, there are a few things I want to say about it. One is for some individuals, under the right circumstances, with the right support, they are can be a great ally. There's no question about that. I don't want to minimize that. Particularly 
if there's a practice of inquiry and there's some psychological digestion, because I've seen enough of people who take, who are involved in the cer ceremonies a lot. And I don't see much digestion. Like the shamanic path doesn't really have a digestive piece to it. And it's fundamentally a dualistic path. I mean, one of the things that I saw a number of years ago that I was very saddened by is I um, was privileged to go to this ceremony and a woman was in very deep sorrow. I mean, it's the kind of sorrow that opens up the earth. I mean, you, you, it was so deep, so authentic, and she was sobbing from the soul of the earth, kind of crying. Mm. Yeah, no, it was. And I remember just sitting, and I didn't know her, but I was sitting behind her, just kind of met it, just sitting in the heart of compassion. I thought that's yeah. the best thing. Do we just hold this space, right? And the shaman came over and started working with her as if she was having a demonic experience. Mm. My heart, my heart broke. She was not having a demonic experience. Yeah. She absolutely was not having. And her crying became more superficial, more hysterical mm. as she's trying to pull this. And so that's there's that side of it. Yeah, lack of attunement. Well, or but it's also a certain kind of dualistic view. Not all sh shamanic paths have that, but some do have this, yeah. right? And in the course in the diamond approach, we don't. That's so not our. You know, if, if there's a kind of demonic feeling inside yourself, take a look at your own hatred or your own. You know, take a look. Yeah. Right. Um, so. There are some people that individually can be very useful for, and it can be a distraction. Yeah. And it is a powerful logos in itself that you can get pulled into because one of the powers of the plant and one of the, the calls of it is it really activates the dynamism of being. Yeah. It, it really activates the move, movement. Right. Mm -hmm. So it really depends on the orientation. Yeah. So the diamond approach, we absolutely we don't use plant medicine. Mm -hmm. We're basically open about it, meaning we don't support and we don't negate. It's like, what is your truth mm -hmm. about what's calling you? Right. Um, what is your experience? And there have been occasionally a couple of students over the years who, based on their vulnerability and their sensitivity and their already very deep opening, I have a couple of times said, I really don't want you to. Yeah. Uh, I'm usually neutral about it. Like, what is your guidance about it? And blah, you know, and just inquiring into what's moving the movement. Yeah. And there are a couple of times that I've said no, like I've had a strong, like, I don't advise this for you at yeah. this moment in time. That makes sense. Um, yeah. But I think the important question, the thing is, is just like, who wants to do it? Why? What's the context? 
which again brings in the guidance <clears throat> i mean yes it in, like with 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 the students, it was clear that in certain times you've served at, served at, as their guidance, meaning you've give, given them pointers in terms of recommendations. But ideally, there is an internal inquiry process where one can find the truth of the calling. Is where is this coming from, right? Yeah. No. Exactly. Yeah. And so, I mean, I'm totally aware that there are many, 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 many students in the Diamond Approach that are using plant medicine. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not naive, and um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and hopefully the ones that are finding great benefit from it or great wisdom and recognizing it's not useful to them. Yeah, this is it. And 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 kind of a discernment. It it does invite sincerity. Yeah. is very key. Yeah. Yeah, I'll share this one other experience I had. I was trying to remember when. Anyway, late 70s, early 80s, and I took a certain substance, and I had a particular experience that was very, very powerful. I'll, I'll just say that. I don't want to go into the details of it. And the next day, I didn't feel well. And I recognized that in a certain way, I hadn't exactly earned the experience. It wasn't really mine. I really got that the substance itself catapulted. Now, my assemblage point, my soul definitely went with it. I was very present with what was happening. It was a it was a very illuminated experience. Yeah. I felt very honored. Yeah, I was, you know, personal Jessica was gone. <laughs> you know, so my soul felt I I, I grokked what was happening. Yeah. I was very moved, right? The yeah. next day, when ordinary Jessica is definitely back, yeah. <laughs> you know, reflecting on it, humbled, but also recognized it wasn't really my realization. Hmm. Good. That, you know, a doorway was opened. Yeah. I was privileged to take the seat of a certain view of reality. Yeah. And something in me said, okay, Jessica, now let's see. Yeah. Um, I could just tell it wasn't really my realization. Again, for me, what this points to is, is, a, is a sincerity and an honesty of heart and, and of being. Um, and... I think I, I just want to emphasize that because I feel this is such a key aspect of the path, that level of sincerity and genuineness. Um, and also what I've come to realize and, and actually through <clears throat> watching an, a documentary about the Vietnam War is our human beings ability to deceive themselves and deceive others. Uh, right. as a defense mechanism against the truth that is being feared on, on some level. Um, I, I, I'm not going to go into the full full shebang of that, but um, um, after having seen that, it just deepened in me, you know, the understanding and the valuing and the importance of sincerity and also how sincerity in some sense is a very advanced, like, 
integrating sincerity requires a very deep level of maturity in some sense because you need to really uh, if you have deep sincerity you will confront a lot of things that may that threatens the ego that threatens the self that can lead into what one perceives to be dangerous that can lead into the unknown basically sincerity you know propels ones into the unknown because the desire for truth is deeper than the fear of truth in some sense yes 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 beautifully said right it's so interesting when you said the word vietnam of course you know i was in my 20s during vietnam and um i worked with vietnam vets yeah, no, I used to work a lot in the in, in therapy field. I've worked in some very interesting places as a nurse, <clears throat> and one was with vets. Oh. And um, one of the <clears throat> positive uses of, of psychedelics actually is some of the work that's being done, uh, John Hopkins, et cetera, working with vets, working with people with a certain level of trauma. Mm um that has such a tight contract fear contraction in the soul that there are certain substances uh used extremely mindfully that can really help relax something um so that's a whole other level of uh it's being done with that and with people dying and that that kind of research i'm all I feel very supportive of yeah, and I think that's good to mention. And, and with that also mentioning how Diamond Approach teachers, you know, it's a policy, a part of the school of referring students to therapy if, if that is what is needed. This is not a therapy, therapeutic environment primarily, right? Although therapy does happen. Yeah, it, it definitely. I mean, there's, there's a certain kind of work First of all, I mean, I'd already been in a lot of therapy before I even met Hamid. And then I met Hamid as a therapist, right, as a Reikian person. So I did a lot of kind of digestion of lots of layers of my history before I even entered deeply. Because the work was kind of evolving in the early years with what's known as the senior teachers like myself and anyway, all, all the various people of the original generation, the work was unfolding and being discovered. And it um, and was going into deep question of who and what are you, which is a very different level of questioning when dealing with trauma or dealing with complex psychological histories yeah. that really need a certain kind of unwinding mm-hmm. and need a certain kind of therapeutic support. Um, And some people can really do both at the same time. Lots of people can do both at the same time, the diamond approach and the therapy practice, because they're really different. And some people really need to do the therapy first before approaching the diamond approach. Yeah. Right. From there, let's segue into the question around what is a good student? Uh, How do you describe, how would you describe a good or sincere or or a genuine student what what is it characterizes like a good student in 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 your experience and perception mm-hmm. 
I get to just feel through my all the souls I've been privileged to uh, <laughs> yeah. hang with, right? Exactly. Well, a good student is someone who has a kind of burning curiosity with a just enough courage to really uh, enter into a conversation with themselves about who and what they are and, and just really enough curiosity, enough courage to just take a look at what's going on. Right? To begin to slowly feel what's going on, to slow down, to sense what's going on, right? Um, sometimes it takes a while for the kindness to come because of that, that inner critic. Yeah. And it's uh, people are often more courageous sooner before they're kind. To themselves, you know, and that's one of the functions of a teacher is to hold the kindness, have a certain kind of capacity to really. Oh, I know what I want to say. One of the best things, because uh, I was also trained as a therapist many years ago, but uh, this training teacher said to me was, the art of becoming a therapist is a willingness to learn your clients language to really take in the story how they hold themselves yeah that makes sense yeah and to help them unpack it mm. yeah right and then if i add the diamond approach layer it's like okay to unpack it and then slowly with the certain kind of discriminating questions help them recognize that as they unpack it, that within the, the, the jewels of their history, there's their essential nature is there. Yeah. It's been, the soul has shaped it in a particular way, like the anger and inside it is the strength, right? Um, and that's, you know, part of being a, teacher is not just being present but really taking in the meaning of a person's storyline that their soul is really has something to say and its own way to unpack itself and to really take the wisdom of the diamond approach because we have a particular view on almost on you know on the nature of the ego and anyway but to actually ask the discriminating question, to be able to shift it from the historical layer, get enough of the historical layer expressed, and then shift it to the essential layer. Yeah. It takes a certain kind of art of question. Hmm. Yeah, so to the people who perhaps struggle with having that, like that, balance of curiosity and courage, what would you say to them? Well, what's here in this moment is to recognize that the place that's reluctant 
or shy has a reason for its reluctance. So let's listen to that. What's your reluctance? Let's let's hear that. Let's hear that part of the story or that part of your experience. And by story, I don't mean a two-dimensional thing. I really mean how your life is organized inside of you. So let's honor the reluctance. And at the same time, acknowledging something in you is not reluctant or you wouldn't be sitting here with me. Mm. And let's have them both in the space, but let's listen to the, the voice of the reluctant one. Yeah. And usually that opens up some very important pieces of information. Right? That I really think an error is made that when reluctance or quote unquote resistance is seen as the enemy, it's not. Mm. It's serving a purpose. We need to open it up and understand what the purpose is and clarify it and, and shine the light on it, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's uh, really poignant, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, and I also know that a lot of people listening, a lot of them, some of them aspires towards eventually doing the Diamond Purse teaching and are curious about that. Some teachers actually listens to this podcast um, most, a lot of people are working with teachers and there are some people who, who's not working with a teacher. What for you, uh, you, you talked about it already a little bit, but maybe we can even make it more explicit. What, what do you feel? You've also trained teachers from what I understand. Um, what, what is it? What's a hallmark of a, of a good teacher or, a, or, a, or, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, of course. Now we're getting into. <laughs> well, a hallmark of a of a good teacher is someone who's willing to constantly become a teacher. That the becoming never stops. Never, never, never stops. Um, so I would say a hallmark of a good teacher is someone who's really willing to do their own inner work, particularly dealing with their own personality, their own identity, their own narcissism. Yeah. Right? Um, to recognize their, um, what's motivating them. Right? Whether the motivation is, I want to save my mother, that, that motivates a lot of people who become therapists. Mm. Whether uh, what's motivating me is because I want to stand in front of 100 people and be the teacher, you know, a certain kind of narcissism, grandiosity. So to actually just be willing to just work on one's stuff, because the reality is we all have stuff. It's just the nature of reality. It's the one's relationship to one's stuff yeah. same same with a teach you know in, in some way you could say a good teacher is someone who's also a good student yeah actually There's, it would be I, really i want to share something on that because i asked uh -huh. shanti the same question i asked if you had if you had some advice for teachers or mentors or coaches and he said <clears throat> be your own best student yes i agree a hundred a hundred <laughs> 
hundred percent. I can it reminds me of a, a funny story. A few years back, um, this is just a funny story. I hadn't felt a narcissistic hurt in quite a while. Yeah. Right. And I was just feeling, I mean, like really quite a while. And something happened at a retreat with Hamid. Hmm. And I felt such a narcissistic hurt from him to me. Right. And I was like shocked. I went, oh, my God, I really feel narcissistically hurt. Right. And then after feeling the hurt, I had a laugh. Yeah. But of course, of course, it would have to come to the moment where I felt narcissistically hurt with by my teacher. Yeah. Right. To even work on that place in me. Besides having a clarifying conversation with him at some point, but that place in me that felt narcissistically hurt. Yeah. Right. So, so yes, to be a really good student. Mm. And I think you're pointing on something very specific or very poignant and, and important here about narcissistic hurt and that is something one can detect that has its own quality and 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 discernible and 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 something to you know particularly give attention to huh oh. i mean one of the things i i like to say to people who are, who are in the ever ever ongoing process of becoming a teacher it, it never stops yeah. just like being a student never stops beautiful right never stops never yeah. right the dynamism never stops. No. Um, is that there's a certain sacrifice that needs to be made if one really wants to become a teacher of true service, which is willing to have your narcissistic layers surface, be felt, and the exquisite vulnerability. Yeah. Because there's certain narcissistic um, sensitivities that someone who doesn't become a teacher never really has to deal with. Yeah, interesting. There's a whole other level of sensitivities that get stimulated working on teams, uh, doing your first talks, seeing your first students, feeling like you're, you don't, you're, you're not Hamid, you know, you're not Jessica, you know, you're not Morton, you're not whoever, teach whatever teacher you're liking, you know, and to feel and to be able to stay present while feeling the presence and one's own historical content, you know, we could say it limitation, but to really still feel and recognize I have a lot of where my soul really lands in taking myself to be a certain history. Yeah. Now, a teacher does not have to have all that digested. I mean, but a teacher has to have the, have a certain kind of orientation to one's own content. Yeah. And a certain kind of presence. And capacity to be with that content and digest that content in the most of the best of your capacity and not act out that content Mm. so there's a certain kind of humility Mm. there's a certain kind of humility it's a natural movement towards moving to a certain level of selflessness and uh truth yeah 
Yeah, good. Very good. And uh, this is a more specific question. Uh, I just, let me just tune in if I'm going to ask this or not. No, actually, I'm not going to ask that question. Um, now, I had an interesting question, conversation with a friend yesterday. I asked him, how do you feel that I come or when I, when we are in conversation, do you feel me primarily as an autonomous soul or do you feel me as a student of the diamond approach? Because I tend to, with my friends, speak a lot about the teaching and mm -hmm. that is founded in the fact that my deepest interest is truth spirituality and reality and the lens through which i explore that is the diamond approach teaching so pre-diamond approach teaching pre i got the, this level of in, intimate with it i spoke about spirituality as well but less about the diamond approach because diamond approach was a smaller portion of my soul but after over time it's grown more and more and more and what he re 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 replied was over phone, um, or I want to distinguish between you on the phone and you in person. And on the phone, my sense is that you can come across as, uh, or at times come across that the diamond approach is in the foreground. And there are sometimes I would have preferred to it for it to be in the background. And while when I speak on you in, or meet you in person, generally it is in the back or it's not, it doesn't fill the space in the same way. So we had a very nice, nice friend. Yeah, beautiful. So we had this open conversation about that. And he, he you know, he also had the process around, you know, giving constructive critique because that's the thing in society as well. So it was a very beautiful exchange. Mm -hmm. um, how do you, I mean, you've been on the path many, many years now. So how do you, like, do you, what is your attitude and approach in talking or being yourself and, and, and sharing about what you love with relatives, with friends? Do you at all talk about the diamond? <laughs> do you, do you, do you just not focus? You know, how, how do you, how do you leave that? Well, it's been an unfoldment. Yeah, of course. I mostly don't. You mostly don't talk about it now. I have a, well, with, with my friends who are in the work, of course, yeah, we yeah. talk about the work yeah. or what we're experiencing, what our own, the, our own unfoldment is. We support each other and all that. But I learned a long time ago. It's just, um, I, I mostly don't. Yeah. I do if someone's interested. Yeah. And, you know, there are a few times where I'll be at a social gathering and a conversation will open up and someone actually is interested, oh. interested. Yeah. Right. That's a different octave of conversation, but mostly I don't. Yeah. You know, I, I, I do it just very superficially. Now with your friend, who obviously you have a very uh, engaged 
straightforward conversation with. I, I might with that a friend like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But and, also, and, but encourage that friend when you when you're missing me, knock on my door I mean, <laughs> and pull me and pull me forward. Right yeah. now, I have a couple of friends like that who are not in the work who I cherish, and we get into very interesting conversations. Yeah, but most people I find are not interested, whether it's the diamond approach spirituality in general yeah just not that really that interested yeah totally uh, and that's been true for decades it's not something new with this generation that's just yeah yeah yeah. i mean most of the wisdom of the psychological wisdom that has opened up in the last 70 years freud jung you know all that wilhelm Reich. well none of it hardly any of it is digested into the culture yeah, a little bit Buddhism, you know, is a little bit more digested into the culture. You know, I think the Dalai Lama is such a public figure, um, but in, in a certain way, uh, part of the maturation process is a deepening alone with the alone, you know, with true nature, and recognizing how reality is really manifesting, including in a lot of reality is manifested in forms that are not that interested in reality. Yeah. Right? Yeah, it's true. Right? Yeah. So I think with the same conscious awareness and sincerity, one can gauge and feel when it's appropriate to talk about it or not. And obviously there is such a, great variety of friends and relatives where it's applicable, so many different situations. And again, it comes back to guidance as well, right? Which, yeah. which eventually is just integrated and internalized. It becomes just a natural sensitivity to the situation in the moment and, yeah. and folding. Yeah, I mean, one of the things I'm recognizing, I'm having a sweet memory. In this moment, I had this insight. I went to a wine tasting, maybe like, oh, had it been in the 1990s. Yeah. And it was a very... Uh, a very California wine tasting. So literally at the table, there was a guy who owned a winery. There was a guy who had a PhD, you could get a PhD in winery. So they were really... Dedicated, huh? <laughs> and the wine would come by, right? And the discriminating awareness. Incredible. Was, was incredible. And I realized they were doing with the wine. Yeah what we do with the soul yeah 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 definitely like in a certain way a really good diamond approach student a diamond approach teacher is a wine taster of the soul yeah has it been in the wood barrel five years or has it been like seven years and what did the seven years do to be the and i and i just got it you know and i just got oh my god so there it was there was these soul capacities and what they were interested in and tasting yeah. and smelling and becoming one with yeah wine yeah exquisite right yeah, yeah yeah i'm not so interested i like a really good wine yeah not like that not i'm like not, that yeah i'm much more interested in what's the shape of what's the you know i'm much more interested in consciousness and tactility how the body and consciousness and the soul are one and yeah there's so many things i'm really interested in but 
but it, you know, it speaks to something important there, you know, the honoring of the different destinies and soul paths and journeys that true nature make through through a human being as vessels, right? And, and yeah. the kind of tolerance and, and valuing of, of the, that diversity. Um, one thing I want to touch on is... Yeah, I am going to... I mean, I notice I'm getting a little restless. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you 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 wanna you yeah yeah yeah. It's, it's, well, no, also I've been sitting a long time longer than I usual. know. I know. Okay, I know. one more, one Maybe. more, and then we're gonna have to. Okay, we're gonna wrap it. So in the in in the last pages, last page of the Pearl Beyond Price, Hamid talks about the diamond pearl. <laughs> uh huh. Yes. What about it? Yes. What is? What is that? I think in this context, remember when I spoke in the beginning about the absolute yeah. unfolding itself and revealing something about the value of the personal consciousness? Yeah. You could say the diamond pearl, the kind of um, flowering of that. Yeah. The individual, you know, that the individual consciousness inseparable from the its boundless nature. Hmm. Totally, yeah. And that when it's manifesting, the different qualities of essence is what's manifesting, what's speaking, what's living. Yeah. Right. Hmm. So the mind becomes the mind of true nature or the guidance becomes the guy, you know, or the heart becomes the, the heart of the water chandelier, you know, that, that the actual qualities become the organs. Yeah. Right. Basically. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. I can feel the facetedness of that in my heart when you speak. Um, yes. Yes. So Jessica. And yes. All the listeners. Thank you. And that was so, I mean, such a wealth of wisdom, wealth of love, wealth of knowledge that has come through in this particular conversation and a unique gem. Um, so, yeah, thank you to everyone who listened and uh, yeah, stay tuned. <laughs> <laughs> Something new will unfold for sure, right? Yeah. <laughs>